Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, what's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. Man, do I have a doozy for you guys. I cannot wait for you to meet and experience the incredible Justin Zorn and Lee Mars. So, Justin and Lee are are new friends of mine and the brand new authors of Golden, The Power of Silence in a World of Noise. Man, this was such a good conversation. It's been a while since I've had a conversation that has been strictly focused on one specific topic. I mean, we we unpack the idea of silence from so many different angles and we talked about the psychology of why our world is so noisy, the science of silence how to access aliveness through silence, just uh, even thought exercises like what we would do if we sat in silence for five years and and how do we actually even practice discernment and distinguishing between noise and stress. And man, I, I just, I had so much fun on this conversation. Like I, and I feel so connected right now. I, we literally just got done recording and I'm just blown away by both of them. I mean, Zorn and Mars have both taught to the U.S. Congress, NASA, Harvard, and Google on how to reclaim presence in our lives through silence. And I just love this conversation. I mean, this was such a practical application of mindfulness. And you can tell, I can tell usually when I meet people that embody what their message is. And both Justin and Lee they they embody their message. I mean, you can feel the tonality and the cadence and the pace with which they speak. And it was just so nourishing and refreshing. And I it actually reminded me how much I really desire connecting back into silence and really investing in my practices to go and be with what is and what that can look like in so many ways. And so I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. I hope you guys enjoy the book. I can't wait to pick it up and to go through it. And I just, I really appreciated this conversation. I hope you guys do too. So enjoy it. If you haven't already subscribed to us on iTunes or Spotify or any of the podcast apps, all that means is that every single time we release a new episode, it drops straight into your inbox. Pick up the book, take a few moments for yourself, breathe, connect, drop into your heart, Step away from the noise, step away from the chaos. And even if it's just for five seconds, just be with what is. Go deep into the silence and allow it to be your anchor, your friend, your greatest teacher. And without further ado, here is this week's incredible conversation with Justin Zorn and Lee Mars. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
Yo, 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 what is up everyone? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope everyone tuning in is having an amazing day so far. I am so grateful and excited to have both of you here, Leigh and Justin. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank Good to you. Be here. Yeah. I am, I'm really excited. In fact, when Michael, uh, our mutual connection, he kind of shared your book and your and the philosophy with me, like all I saw was the word silence and immediately felt this incredible curiosity. And then as I was going through the first few pages of the book, I understood why. And the way you guys define silence actually really intrigued, inspired, and like dropped me into my heart, especially when you, when you compared silence wasn't just absence it was it was it was combined with presence mm. can you actually start there and unpack that idea for me because i think there's something really rich and nourishing in there but i, I would love to hear your perspectives on on silence as you define it and and how it relates to presence mm. yeah i can start us off so yeah, we didn't, when we started this journey, it was about five years ago. And so it's been kind of a long and winding one. And what we found is when we started looking at, looking, investigating silence is that it was so multifaceted and deep. And yet it is important to start at that one level that silence is the absence of noise, the way we think of it kind of in common vernacular but it's not just that. So we'll get into all those ways. So it's the absence of unwanted distraction. And we looked at in our ears, that auditory level on our screens, because that's such a big deal these days in terms of what all these attention grabbing things coming at us and in our thoughts and that area of looking in inside our minds and silence in the mind is where we, I think it's where the book really took bloom in, in us. So it's the space where no one is sticking claims on our attention. Mm. The place was where nothing is interfering with our perception and our intention. So how do you, I guess in a world filled with noise, different kinds of noise, how do you, I guess, even learn to distinguish between what is just an absence of noise and true silence. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, Justin will take us a little deeper into to silence, I think. That was that sort of the first cut. Yeah. Where you, <laughs> you take us deeper, Justin. Yeah, we've just been on this journey discovering this too, Raj. We, um, you know, we came to writing this book just out of a feeling of like, what are we going to do to bring some more sanity to our world? You know, how can we possibly be helpful you know, we both come from worlds of politics and working on domestic violence and climate and poverty issues. And, you know, we both just got this intuition that finding this silence is the, the prerequisite for everything we need to do, getting beyond that noise, as Lee was talking about it. But that the silence, when we get beyond silence as, as just the absence of noise, as Lee was describing it, we find that you can encounter silence at a level that is this presence, this source of new insights, this source of creative solution, for some a source of healing. We wrote a, an article about this some years ago for Harvard Business Review, 
And um, the article really resonated with folks, and that's what led to the opportunity to write this book. At the time, we were just thinking about silence in the auditory sense. That's how we described yeah. it in the HBR article. But we just kept following the cookie crumbs after the article resonated with people. And we started interviewing people, politicians and poets and neuroscientists and somebody who'd been on death row for 30 years, asking everyone, what's the deepest silence you've ever known? And the answers were so surprising to us because they often weren't auditorily quiet. You know, Raj, they were talking about births and deaths and moments of awe and moments running the perfect line through roaring rapids. And sometimes they were talking about the 4 a.m. mark at an all-night dance party where they had lost any semblance of self-referential thought, any kind of ego awareness. And that was the deepest silence they'd ever known. So for us, this has been kind of the common denominator, how we think about silence as presence. It's this space, as Lee mentioned, first where there's no one making claims on our consciousness, but then at a higher level, it's also this mysterious presence that's different for everyone, but it has this power to reset our nervous system. It's this power to accept that it's okay to not fill the space and to be and to appreciate the presence of life. It's almost like the like silence in its current definition is a bridge to presence, which then opens up a whole new portal of silence, like a whole new definition, a whole new pocket of like what silence can be in all of those states. And and I would consider any of those to be like flow states in, in a lot of ways. Like there are these like moments of just surrender where there is no senses, there's nothing. It's just, it's pure life. It's a, it's, it's almost like a connection to life. And mm. cause I, I, I think I, even myself, like when I, when I think about silence, like what does silence give me? I'm not actually in silence when I'm in silence. Like it's a, I do feel more connected. And sometimes that voice is there. Like there's like a, it creates the bridge to more to show up. Do you guys find that to be true in your own lives? And and how do you, when you sit into the, or as you've expanded your definition of silence, how has it sort of evolved for yourselves? Mm. Yeah, we, this is where things got super exciting for us when we started to kind of move away from just looking at silence as that thing we do, maybe if we're in mindfulness meditation, sitting still, quieting our thoughts. And we have a deep respect for mindfulness, have actually our own practices in the past and are a bit lapsed these days, but we're looking into other experiences of silence, internal silence in particular. And then we moved into looking at flow and other self-transcendent experiences. And so there's this great umbrella term for these self-transcendent experiences, Mm. STEs. So we stumble into this whole area of study that's taking place, looking at flow states, looking at moments of awe. They can be totally beautiful and exhilarating and also terrifying where the words drop away. Looking at mystical experiences that happen spontaneously, who knows when, or maybe they're brought about through meditation or possibly through expanded states of consciousness brought about by psychedelics. So there's all kinds of, you know, varieties of ways to experience self-transcendent experiences, which we think of as being, um, and Justin spoke to this about that 
your the loss of self-referential thought. There's really too much going on. If we're in flow states, we are applying ourselves to something where we have a lot of skill, but also need to really be paying attention. So something like that, that's the flow state. So our attentional networks don't have any more space for being self-conscious. And as soon as we are, boom, we're out of it. You've probably yeah. experienced that. I do that. I've experienced that as a dancer. So we've been just on this journey studying what are these self-transcendent experiences like for us? And what is that experience of quiet internally? For me, I'll just say that there's that diminishment of self, but then there's an expansion of self where I feel connected to all things, all beings, all things. I feel smaller and larger at the same time. I love this question, Raj, you know, just about how it's changed for us, because it has been a journey writing this book. You know, we, we approached it with a set of assumptions about what we were writing about, and that just changed over time. You know, Lee mentioned this word expansion, and it reminded me of a, a conversation we had with Dr. Judson Brewer, who's one of the foremost experts on the neuroscience of the meditator's brain. He's a professor of neuroscience and psychiatry at Brown University, and he's been running fMRI studies of meditators for some years, but he's also a really serious Theravada Buddhist meditator himself. And we asked him about the meaning of silence, and we talked a good bit about his, his studies, and we talked a good bit about his, his Buddhist practice, and he talked about the space where there's an absence of the push or the pull. But then he looked at his research with us and said that when people have an experience of noise, it's an experience of contraction. It's a feeling of contractedness in the mind and the body. Mm. And when people have an experience of silence, quietening the mind, but also quietening the unwanted sound and stimulus around them, there's a feeling not of contraction, but expansion. So one thing I've been doing more and more to answer your question about where we find the silence, how we find this, I've been noticing where I'm in those contracted states of being, where I feel tight in my body, where I feel constricted in my mind, and noticing the expanded states. And one piece of it that's been really fascinating for us is, you know, as Dr. Brewer was describing it. As a society, we often think that the contracted states are what we want. You know, sometimes we mistake stress for aliveness. Mm. And that's the nature of, you know, the dopamine fix that we're often going for in our society. That our economy is in many ways organized, you know, to, to prime people to seek. But one of the core kinds of propositions of this book, Jay, is that is that there's also a deeper state of well-being that's grounded in a state of expansiveness. And silence is the epitome of that. I love the reframe to contraction and expansion. That is awesome. <laughs> I actually really feel like that breaks the paradigm with which we're living in. It's not noise in the absence of noise. It is anything, any anything in our senses, in our being, in our awareness that is truly actually small versus infinite in nature. Hmm. And that infinite, that expansiveness is almost like it's 
that I, I don't know. I, I I need to sit with that one for a second because like it's <laughs> it's it's hitting me in a in a way that's making me actually look at everything in my life as because even if I look at the the goal of like removing the noise, it is so you can feel that infinite potential, that aliveness, which is what I think we're all here to live into, to experience, to maximize. It's to increase our own capacity for life, which is the states that bring us that sense of fulfillment and connection. And and I wonder, I guess, like, where did we go wrong? Like, you know, how did we even get to this place where we we got to this definition of like, like, how do we get away from the definition of the body and, and being able to pay attention to those senses? And how did we become so one track in the mind? I guess I'm, I'd love to hear your perspectives on, mm-hmm. on even the journey as a, as a society, how we got here. Mm-hmm. I could say one thing about how at a systemic level at a society, because you, know, you mentioned society, our systems right now are so oriented toward producing noise. You know, we measure our progress as a society, usually according to gross domestic product, you know, which is a measure of how much industrial stuff we're producing. And GDP is also a measure of how much mental stuff we're producing, how much sound and stimulus. You know, the economy, according to the benchmark that we usually use as a society to measure progress, you know, goes up when we chop down a forest to sell the lumber at Home Depot, but it doesn't count the value of keeping that forest intact. Mm. And likewise, our primary benchmarks for how well our society is doing, economically speaking, but you know, it's often used as a measure of social growth, GDP, it goes up when we chop up and commoditize human attention. And nothing positive happens for our economic indicators when we're in a moment of pristine attention, spending time in nature, spending time playing with our little kids, spending time appreciating beautiful art. And these are all things that, according to our measures of progress as a society, don't really count as a good. So one of the things we aim to do in this book is take the conversation away from just thinking about, hey, here's some practices you can do. That is the centerpiece of the book for sure. You know, why and how as individuals, we can seek silence. But we also pivot toward the end of the book, toward thinking about this question you raised, you raised, Raj, of like why as a society we produce so much noise, why we equate, as we were just talking about sometimes, stress and anxiety for aliveness, and how we can change some of those systemic elements, like how we can change how we measure GDP. We're also, I think that's, it's, we're getting a better handle on the issues. When we look at auditory noise, part of why it's climbing and climbing is because the surrounding environment is climbing, climbing. If you look at, for example, sirens, emergency sirens, and the need to pierce through the sound, the clamor of the urban environment, well, that's just gotten louder and louder starting, you know, in the last less than a hundred years, it's, sixfold louder, six times louder than it was to pierce through the sound. 
and our bodies are, you know, our ears literally and our nervous systems, there's so much damage. We're linking it to health issues that are beyond hearing damage, but cardiovascular issues, sleep. And we know how much that sleep matters, disturbances, diabetes, and just, you know, the studies coming out of Europe are looking at life years lost due to auditory noise. So it's just climbing, getting out of control and how to regulate and, you know, how do we attend to that? But then the informational noise is also on the rise at this point. It's like, like Justin was saying, it's our attention is this commodity everyone's grabbing for, but our attentional networks are very, what, what can go through our brain and be processed is actually fairly modest compared to the 11 million bits of information that's coming our way through all those sensory channels you were saying at any given second, we can only process something like 126 bits of information per second. So the data is getting more and more data, more and yeah. more information. Our ability to process it is not changing. It's the same. And then our internal Noise is also on the rise. People like Judson Brewer looking at anxiety, rumination, chatter, uh, internal chatter. And Ethan Cross, a professor at a University of Michigan, estimates that compressed speech, which is far more speedy than our spoken speech, if we think, look at uh, what we're doing to ourselves internally, it's we're listening to something like 320 State of the Union addresses every day inside our minds. (laughs) So, (laughs) so there's, we're, you know, we're getting a handle on this hopefully. And in terms of some of the research and things of what's proving out, but, you know, you know, we've got some big decisions to make hopefully collectively as well as individually within our spheres of control. Well, I think we're all going to have to make choices well before science catches up or well before the system shifts. And I'm curious to you know, it feels like the deck is stacked against us in a lot of ways. Like, at least for myself, I live in the middle of the city. Like, mm-hmm. I, when you said sirens, I was like, I wake up to sirens. Like, it's just like, it's my nature. It's where I'm at. And as somebody who's practicing awareness, who's trying to be a conscious being in, as in just my practices, like, how would you teach the difference between stress and aliveness? And how would you teach, you know, someone to recalibrate towards aliveness if all they've ever known is stress? Like, I guess, is there a nuance to both that you can at least teach or or maybe describe in the moment so anyone listening can potentially be able to distinguish when they're in each and then they can begin to optimize for the one they desire? Mm. It's a beautiful question. One way that I seek to do that in my life is is Tuning into silence is just taking time to listen to nothing in particular, just working to tune into, maybe it's the ringing in my ear, but the breeze, the rustling of the leaves in the, of the trees, just tuning in to the simple essence of what is. When I can tune in, for me, auditorily to that state, that really simple place of being, I can tune into a, a kind of foundation of aliveness that you're talking about sometimes there's an ancient practice from india called nada yoga which is the the yoga of sound of just simply listening to nothing in particular tuning into the essence of life and for me that's one way to do it throughout this book though raj we look to stories of different people who 
face this question in all different ways, all different contexts. We tell the story of a guy named Cyrus Habib, who uh, was the son of Iranian immigrants to the U.S. and went blind when he was eight years old and ended up becoming a Rhodes Scholar and went to Yale Law School and became the lieutenant governor of Washington State when he was like 35 years old. And everybody thought he was going to run for the U.S. Senate or run for governor. And he made this big announcement of what he was going to do next. And he announced that he was taking a vow of poverty, chastity, and obedience as a novice Jesuit priest. And he was moving out basically to a monastery to live in silence for a period of time. And people were like, what are you doing, man? It was like, you know, the New York Times said a politician took a sledgehammer (laughs) to his own ego. And so he, we look at his story of how he used to, to mistake the stress and anxiety and like the constant filling the space as aliveness as like, that was how he was doing his job. And after a while, he just realized he was losing touch with his ability to hear his own inner voice. But at an even more basic level, he was losing touch with the ability to just enjoy life. Mm. And he tells us about how going into the silence and like just being present when he's just like chopping vegetables, he's just chopping vegetables. He's like, now he could become a connoisseur of creation is how he describes it. Mm-hmm. So he, he backs out of the noise, sort of backing out of that cultural piece of the hustle, the constant dialing for dollars and, and all the politics and the spin and the, the, you know, all that he backs out of that kind of auditory and informational noise and then encounters his own internal noise. And in a way that he shares with us, it is so beautiful. And he, he's the one who turned us towards the word discernment that when he finally mm-hmm. did get quiet, he was able to discern the true signal from the noise. And this is one of these, ever since speaking with him, at least we've been speaking about this as our meditation as well, just really using those spaces of silence to discern what is truly needing our attention and what is noise in this situation. And I think that helps us figure out the difference between what is just the frenzy, which can look a lot like aliveness, and what is aliveness? And then finding our own ways. You know, I think we probably have our own internal signals for what is really aliveness. I feel some kind of a channel in me. It feels pretty somatic and, you know, inward and out. And I don't know if other people are, you know, experiencing like that. Cyrus spoke a lot about his heart being that place of, mm. of feeling it. So I think there is some personal work to do there. And it's maybe a little bit beyond a place that words can always describe, but it's that place of discernment is I think what we're trying to help make more room for. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And I I love the, um, I mean, both of you described it in your own ways. Like I actually love the connoisseur of creation. Like that word was beautiful. And I think it is like, as you learn the discernment, you learn to distinguish between the different intuitive voices that might even exist inside of you, the spiritual intuitive voice, the emotional voice, the chatter and the noise. I mean, they're all there and present and and inside of your own. And maybe that is the practice. That is the journey of learning to distinguish between it all and then comes back into alignment and into that remembrance of, of truth and love. And I, I certainly find that, you know, for myself, 
the more I come back to my heart, the more I come back to those states that bring me into my heart, the more I feel that to me, if I had to define aliveness, it is connectedness. It is, uh, I just feel uh, full. And I think connected is the word I would use. Like, is there a word mm-hmm. you guys would use to define alive for each other as as in your own, as you've practiced discernment in your own practice in your journey? Like, w- mm-hmm. what do you think is aliveness for yourselves? Yeah, for me, there's a, the words that are coming to me is that there's an energetic signature to it. You know, there's a signature of alive, of aliveness mm-hmm. that comes to me when I know it's not just that stressed out contracted state, you know, cause it's hard to be in silence. Mm-hmm. We have a chapter of the book Raj called why silence is scary. And it's about how, you know, when we sit alone, particularly for a long period of time in silence, it is scary Because, you know, it's scary. We don't know how we're going to fill this space, but we don't know what we're going to find inside of ourselves. You know, it's like we're not diverting our our attention toward, you know, Twitter or TV or, you know, gossip or whatever it might be. We're just sitting in the space. Mm. So in that space, it's like if we could be in this space of silence where there's nothing diverting our attention and we can tune in to a feeling of spaciousness and a feeling of ease, then it's a sustainable kind of joy. It's not just the up and down motion. Mm -hmm. It's a sustainable kind of joy. And, you know, Aristotle talked about this as something he called eudaimonia, which was a word for a kind of happiness that's grounded in virtue, not just Mm -hmm. the happiness of, you know, the dopamine hit of that (laughs) rush, that kind of biochemical rush, but a happiness that's grounded in knowing that we're, we're doing what's right with respect to our, our relationships, happiness that's grounded in virtue. And we talk about too, how Gandhi describes something similar about how when our, you know, when our, our thoughts, our words and our deeds are aligned. So we talk a lot in the book about the moral dimensions of silence. Because mm. sometimes people think about silence like silence is complicity or silence is complacency in the face of injustice or even silence is violence. And we accept that and we agree that there's a certain kind of silence that's censorship or silence that's like closed lip complacency when you see something's wrong and don't do anything about it. And that's not the kind of silence we're talking about. We're talking about the kind of silence we seek the kind of silence that allows us to perceive more of other people, to perceive more of what's going on in the world so we can skillfully see what's happening and skillfully address what's happening in a good way. Beautiful answer. Leigh, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Oh, I was just, what's coming to me, and I think Justin touched on this, of course, we're starting to share a language and sometimes it even feels like a brain <laughs> you know, in this whole process, but we do have our distinct ways. And you asked about like, how do I know that sense of aliveness? And it does feel very much, there's the term I've been um, reaching for and finding useful is attunement. And there's this way in which I feel attuned to life when I'm in that space of aliveness, I'm attuned to it and I can feel that resonate throughout my body. And that's the difference between there's sort of, when I get in a super stressed thing, then my 
the bad habits I have around being in stress to distract myself, to get busy, to get overly busy. That's a common one or to even leave my body. Those are some signals. So I think for listeners to kind of really just get, you know, get onto themselves, you know, I'm, I'm onto myself. I say sometimes like with my bad habits, so, Oh, I've left my body. Not a good idea. I'm definitely not attuned to aliveness if I have left my body. Cause that's where I experience aliveness is in this vessel. So attunement is what comes to my mind. Well, it's just appreciating that, that you were taking us through, you know, we started with the science and it's nice to start with the science these days. The science and neuroscience in particular is something we have a lot of respect for as a culture right now. So that is also part of why we start there. But then we hear, here we are, we're sort of moving more towards the spirit of silence, why it's scary. And there we can look to the depth of wisdom traditions, all wisdom traditions revere silence. There's something, there's like old technology here to be accessed. And I think that's mm. where, that's the realm we're in right now. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I would even say mindfulness and silence and the pursuit of all of it is one of the oldest technologies known to, to man, especially man. I mean, like I just, and, and I'm, sitting with the fear of silence because I, I used to be a terrible meditator. <laughs> terrible. Oh my gosh. You couldn't get me to sit for more than five minutes if you, if you could make me. And I'm looking back to that, that version of myself, the younger version of myself. And I think there was a discomfort just being. Mm. Can you speak to the discomfort that anyone listening might experience in being and why that might deter the pursuit of trusting in all of the, the beautiful wisdom or the beautiful states that we're describing right now. Like if someone hasn't ever experienced this, can you speak to that? You know, one of the things we say is that there's no such thing as an expert in silence, but I think everyone is an expert in the discomfort of being. Everyone's like been a teenager Everyone's been at a long line in the post office. Everybody's like knows that, you know, everybody knows that. And, you know, so we, we begin one of the chapters, actually the chapter we just mentioned, why silence is scary by asking the reader to join us on a thought experiment or really more of a, a feeling experiment. We say, you know, we say, imagine you just committed to spending the next five years of your life in total silence. You don't have to take care of any logistics or earn a living or take care of anyone, but just what's your first thought? How does your body respond? How does your inner landscape shift? You know, we say like people have all different reactions to this, but there's one thing for sure. For almost everyone, it's scary. And the reason we give this really strange thought experiment or feeling experiment is because Pythagoras, the ancient Greek philosopher who invented all these geometric theorems and invented so many elements of what's today modern mathematics, but also a bunch of other fields, he required that in order to be a member of his inner circle of students, you had to spend five years in silence wow. in order to be invited in. And this was like one of the greatest thinkers, one of the greatest mystery schools and also scientific schools in the whole world. You know, and he, he said, learn to be silent. Let your quiet mind listen and absorb the silence. 
so we study in this book, like how might five years in silence change the architecture of your mind? And what we notice is like the reason, like you were saying, <laughs> Raji spent all those years as a, you know, not being so good at meditating. Like the reason for most people is that when we sit in silence, like we let loose all these latent fears and desires and silly thoughts. It all just comes loose. And five years in silence would be like facing an unbelievable quantity of that until you get to the place where there would be some clarity is how we imagine Pythagoras's logic in requiring that of his students. Have you guys sat in Vipassana or any, any, like what's the longest you guys have actually sat in silence? For me, those have been 10 day Vipassana. Goenka style usually always felt the longest, even if others were just as long. Uh, in Goenka style, there's no move. You're not really supposed to move. You're not supposed to write. So stretching is discouraged and writing is discouraged. And these are all other ways that I find quiet inside. So it feels that prohibition. It was instructive for me, but in the end, it's not my preferred way to find quiet. Mm. Yeah, I, I spent some time in Tibetan practices. And yeah, I didn't do long silent retreats, but I've done about three-day retreats sometimes. Uh, I've had some immersive times of silence in nature for some days. You know, and there's also the work with psychedelics and antigens that can sometimes feel like very long times in silence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and for anyone listening, True. Uh, Vipassana is a silent retreat where you and I actually haven't done one myself I've been called to it I it's just that question just kind of Mm. made me just think about what the hell I would do if I was sitting in silence for five years I mean oh yeah I mean Mm. it's a it's a true range of I can't even my mind can't even comprehend it because it's not something it's ever even entertained as a thought exercise to be honest that's a really interesting perspective and i and i agree like i think i think time is something that gets compressed or expanded and so maybe let's even talk about that like how has exploring and changing your definition of silence sort of changed your relationship with time and the way that you you show up with your loved ones. Like, how has it actually improved the quality of your life? I love that question. One of our interviewees, Gordon Hempton, actually defined silence as time undisturbed. And we look also at being more mindful in transitions in the point in the book, just how we move from one thing to another. And when we bring a little silence to those moments, like say it's moving from one room to another or getting a glass of water or anything, or just like I'm shifting meetings and I'm just going to take a moment that when we do that, we bring our exquisite attention to that moment that we decompress time. So I would say that one of the things we found is because we've actually written this book at a time when, well, of course, like everyone where we've been addressing a, you know, a pandemic, But in our own lives, Justin is now the father of twins who are two. So in the course of writing this book, we had twins, a teenager. Justin also has a a five-year-old. And 
So we wrote this book, I would say, in between all those moments of life, you know, consulting, being parents, being, you know, being partners, all these things. And um, so we really did need to practice decompressing time in order to find the silence and the space to write this book and connect where it needed to connect and find that attunement and the aliveness that we were talking about earlier. So I just want to say that it's possible. (laughs) It takes some work, but it didn't require us running off to the mountaintops to do this. We found the time in those spaces. And that's really what this book is about. When my wife, Meredith and I had our twins and our three-year-old was then three-year-old was at home. And we spent about three weeks in the hospital. Thankfully they came healthy, but just because they were twins and came early, we just spent some time in the hospital and it was just one of the noisiest places imaginable. And I was like in the middle of writing this book then, and so steeped in the research about how quiet was important for newborns in particular And in the newborn intensive care unit where we were for these three weeks, and then an intermediate care nursery, it was so off the charts noisy. So it was like this constant work of, you know, guarding the kids from the noise and navigating the noise for myself, like in this really tender moment. And then coming home, you know, (laughs) the COVID started like the day we got home from the hospital. So all these changes happening in the world. You know, and then it was like back-to-back Zoom meetings constantly with, you know, three little kids in the house. So writing this book at first, it was like, oh my God, how am I going to work on this during this time? But Raj, it ended up being such a blessing because like we were talking about before, about how we navigate the noise and that feeling of contraction and expansion and tuning in to the expansion and the silence I really just spent a lot of time saying like, all right, after this meeting, how can I find a little bit of silence and go as deeply as I possibly can into the silence, even if it's only available for five seconds? I feel called to just close my eyes and take a deep breath Mm -hmm. every single time both of you just say something because it's I can even feel the cadence with which you speak like there's like a tonality and a softness and a cadence with which you're delivering what's present for you and it's and I and I really feel that decompression of time even in this conversation like just by practicing finding the silence and and seeking the silence there's this natural sort of like it, it changes who you are. It changes the way that you show up. It changes the way that you that people feel in your presence because it doesn't feel rushed. It just feels like there's nowhere else you want to be except here. And I and I love that that idea, Justin, of like, even if it's just five seconds, can I just go as deep as possible and make those five seconds feel like a lifetime? Because that is such a powerful idea that I certainly could use more of. I mean, that mm. to me is something that I, I, I actually, I realized this the other day, I was having writer's block the other day and like just stuck in this space of not being able to be creative. Mm. And you're both making me realize how it's, 
that's it. Like it's actually the key to all of it is coming back to those moments that you can just go deep and not go outside looking for an answer or a space or something to pull you out of it. It's not more noise that's going to pull you out of it. It's actually connecting deeply with what's present, what's here. And so I'm, I'm just really appreciating. I'm appreciating both of you right now, actually, mm. very much so in the way that both of you are sort of embodying this practice and this idea of of being in the silence and being in and and accessing the 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 depth of yourselves in that it's it's actually really beautiful thank you so much for that acknowledgement and i really i feel silence here with us i mean silence is always with us but i feel that aliveness that we were talking about when we started me too mm-hmm. yeah me three it's uh it's and it's you know, everyone listening, I'm not just saying this. Like, I actually feel it. <laughs> like, like it's like a, there's a connectedness that's just very patient and slow and, and it's rich and deep. And, um, yeah, I, I feel that connectedness right now. And I'm, and I'm feeling very, very grateful for both of you. I guess, like, what has been one lesson that has come? from this journey for both of you. I mean, it sounds like you started writing the book back in the start of COVID, right? Like, I mean, if you have to summarize a lesson in this journey for where you're at today, what has the silence taught you? Yeah, thank you for this question. I mean, I mentioned earlier that we came to writing this book sort of following the cookie crumbs. You know, we just didn't really intend to write this book, but here we are just following some things that have emerged in our lives that have just brought us toward this silence. You know, I was um, working on Capitol Hill in DC. I was a legislative director for uh, three members of Congress and needing to make a change in my life. It was just a little too intense, (laughs) the nature of the work. And my wife, Mary, and I moved to Santa Fe and, was making a career change, you know, still doing policy communications work, but a little bit more engaged, bridging a little bit more to contemplative work, bridging a little bit more to coaching. And a friend suggested that I, I meet Lee and we had a wonderful connection and ended up doing some writing together and uh, ended up feeling the same intuition about the importance of silence as an answer to so many challenges, or at least as, at least a starting point for thinking about finding these answers. And then I mentioned we wrote this Harvard Business Review article that led us to interviewing all these people, led us to writing this book. So there was no point in the process where we said, hey, we're going to get a book deal. We're going to do this book. It just kind of emerged. And it really feels like, you know, to what Lee just mentioned about the, the silence being present here now, it felt like the silence was and really present in this whole journey, you know, tuning into what's unspoken. Mm. Yeah, I think that is that we were learning and actually being instructed all along on how to follow that aliveness that you started us on, follow, attune to that. It's a place, it's it's an ephemeral place that we're talking about because it really is a sensing, sensing with our whole beings. We both 
Justin's got a great brain. I'm sometimes, you know, like, you know, we can, we can default. I'm a very mental person as well. So we can default to a thinking kind of orientation and it can be smart and it can be convincing and it can be compelling, but this was something different, very different was required of us in this process to relax in that, to trust to trust one another, to trust what was happening, to do our work, to stay in touch with silence and to tune in from there. So there's been a ton of instruction. Your question's beautiful and it's an an enormous one because it's like we talked about changing the architecture of our brain with the Pythagoras, you know, instruction to be in silence. So we've been actually doing a five-year journey of, I think, changing to some degree the architecture of at least our orientation to the work we do in the world with the instruction of silence. Mm, yeah, and I can feel that. And I think it's, and that's what I'm, I'm just appreciating both of you a lot right now, even in that, and yeah, it was a big question, but <laughs> even in the way that both of you answered it, there's many layers. Yeah, the the words left unspoken is, is something that's really sitting with me right now. I just... Mm. Because I, I, I do feel like that unspoken word is something we have to relax into. It's not something that we can get to with the thinking mind. And um, you guys are great. I'm I'm big fans. Uh, I talked to you guys before, like the book kind of came into my hands like an hour before this interview. So I haven't actually gotten a chance to read it fully, but I can't wait to now. Oh, I um, can't wait to read it either. <laughs> Where can I, so for anyone listening, where can they get the book? How can they get in touch with you guys if they want to share anything that may have come up for them after this conversation or after they pick up the book? Would would love to know. Mm-hmm. Well, the HarperCollins site, you can uh, search our names, Justin Zorn, Lee Mars, and uh, Golden, The Power of Silence in the World of Noise. And then you'll have all those options for ordering the whether it's Amazon or independent bookstore or whatever that you know you can take your target you know you can take your pick of places so that's a place to find the book easily and then our website where we do our work together the work that is emerging as from the instruction of silence is astrea strategies and that's spelled a s t r e a strategies.com Well, both of you again, it's just been such a pleasure having you here. I have one last question for both of you. Mm. In the midst of everything you're doing, everywhere you've been and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded? You know, it's something we've talked about in this conversation, but to just listen, to just listen to nothing in particular and feel that that absence of conversation, absence of sound and stimulus, just listening to the sounds around me, I can feel this presence. And as we were talking about, Raj, going as deeply into it as we possibly can, even if it's only present, the silence for a few moments. Mm -hmm. For me, I'd say that it's about finding your quiet and your quiet does not need to look like everyone else is quiet or that's, you know, sort of what's trending in quiet. It's really what brings you internal quiet and 
getting familiar with the signals that let you know you're in that space. So for me, that's dance. And so what grounds me is dance. So it is really loud and there's a lot going on, but I am so quiet in here. And when I'm transmitting choreography and I have a class, I teach a couple of times a week, there is like no quiet like that. And there's nothing grounding like that in my life. So dance. And finding that quiet. And that's quiet. That's my quiet. You know, we've talked, we talked to someone, yeah, who's like a chainsaw carver, you know, he chains, he like, you know, but that's his quiet. So really to like encourage your listeners to be super open to what, what really grounds them. And, you know, we have this quiet, you know, what, what finds your quiet? I think being grounded is quietening. Yeah, no, I love it. It's my girlfriend's same way. She dance. That's her heart. You know, when she's dancing, she is like just fully alive and mm-hmm. fully in her body and just connected. And so, and I love that example. It's truly, actually, it, quiet doesn't have to look like just sitting in silence in in a, in a space. It is anything that helps you come back to you. And I am just so grateful for both of your time. Thank you for sharing your hearts and your mm-hmm. souls with us today. Everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friends, Justin and Lee. And from us, stay grounded. We'll chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.